Welcome to the penultimate episode of Where Others Won't, episode 88 with Russell Earnshaw. Before we kick off, I just want to draw your attention to the back catalogue of this show. One of the original ideas behind Where Others Won't was to document timeless leadership lessons. So if you like this episode, you might want to scroll all the way back and listen to some of the other great guests that have been on. I've had authors and academics like Adam Grant, Whitney Johnson, James Kerr, Tasha Urich, Mita Singh, Amy Cruz, Daniel Pink, Mark Champagne, Michael Bungay-Stania, Aidan McCullen, Pippa Grange, Doug Lamov. I've also had business leaders like Claude Silver, Gary Ridge, Dave Meltzer, Angela Ruggiero, Will Ahmed, Chip Wilson, Howard Behart, Tiffany Bova, Google Guys, Jonathan Rosenberg and Alan Eagle, Laura Gassner-Otting, Nick Stone, Claire Liu, Kevin Rutherford, Michelle Falcon, Paddy McCord from Netflix, and of course, sports leaders, Joe Dumas, Paul Ruse, Darren Burgess, Paddy Steinford, Iowa football head coach, Kirk Ferentz, Anson Dorrance, Scott Robertson, John Herdman, Lisa Alexander, Fergus Connolly, Pete DeBoer, Rasmus Ankerson, Juventus head coach Joe Montemuro, Mike Lombardi, and Mike Gervais. So after listening to Rusty, get scrolling right the way back and check out some of those timeless leadership lessons from the world's best. But for now, Direct from the Magic Academy, Rusty Earnshaw. Rusty, welcome to Where Others Won't. You just got in here, mate. You just got in towards the end. As, as I'm about to exit off on my flight of the Concords, wrap it up before it's, you know, before it's time and the plug gets pulled. You are amazing. <laughs> just, Thanks for having me. And is that the plan, is it? Is it, uh, you podcast it out? I'm about to have a kid, mate. So I don't know if you want a screaming baby in the background of of a podcast it's i mean i've got two kids and i do a podcast but what i would say is it is quite hard to do a podcast like i think people underestimate how much effort and energy it takes even though it's like i probably don't do as much planning as you do well i ordinarily plan quite extensively but for you i haven't done a thing so maybe that that might say <laughs> a little bit about where i'm at with the podcast in general but <laughs> No, it's um, it's awesome to have you on, especially with that background as well. In terms of you know, I've loved following you and and you sharing um, through your podcast because I think it, it all of it sharpens our axes for us. Um, who's who's your favourite guest? Who's been really impactful for you? Because that's the other side of it too. Is what people don't appreciate is when you interview people all the time, you get their condensed knowledge back and it becomes yours and you can do things with it and you can redeploy it 
Who's been impactful for you? Oh, mate, I'm writing stuff down there. Um, and it's a good, and, and to be honest, like everyone, and what you say is true, like probably our podcast started out for two reasons. One was probably needed to look like we knew what we were doing. And the second thing is like, it's CBD for me. Like we've had um, just short of half a million listens. And to be honest, if I'd had no listens, I'd have been okay with that because like I've learned so much. Um, the people I wrote down, I wrote down three people. Um, and one was James G because I think he's like a polymath and he's a, like just this amazing guy who's interested in everything and he brings philosophy and maths into coaching and he just can he just able to connect up so much stuff which i love second one was razor so scott robertson because i got my time difference wrong and um and i left my phone in the room so i was trying to have some good habits i was trying to be present with my family and i go into the other room and i'm got five missed calls off razor and i was like oh my god the podcast is two hours ago so I messaged him and I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. Like, oh my God. Like, he's like, cool, man, we'll jump on now. Like, and I just thought, wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That someone who I don't really know, who's like, and you, you'll have this, I'm sure, all the time, and just willing to give time, you know, was really like, Rusty, it's cool. Because I would be quite stressed about that. And then the third one was probably Eddie, if I'm honest, because he challenged me a little bit around, I think he's, I think he's like condensed down some stuff. So he'll give really quick answers like that. And you've actually got to be a little bit ahead and responsive and probably the stuff, you know, we're, we're, we might get into talking about and probably the stuff we're about to do now. Like I think our role as people who support coaches is to be responsive, is to be curious, is to be interested in, in perhaps some gaps, but be able to be responsive, to have some, tools and options available to us to, to maybe help people or to maybe give them some advice or to, or to be really candid with them or to ask the right question or to connect them with the right person or to point them in the direction of that. So that was a good challenge for me, Ed. Yeah, I bet. I got my time zone wrong with Chip Wilson who's the founder of Lululemon. So, and it was an hour wrong. So he called in an hour early, which was the time that I gave him. <laughs> and the best part of it was, he's this like multi-billionaire. And I'm like, listen, mate, I'm so sorry about this. Uh, you know, you can call back in an hour's time. He's like, nah, nah, don't worry about it. So we just sat there and chewed the fat for an hour before we recorded. And so we did an over an hour episode as well. And so me and him would have been on the phone you know, two and a half hours by the end of it. And, you know, he's telling me he moved down to Australia and he'd live there and, you know, come back and he's telling me about selling the company and, you know, all these things that he's seeing in leadership and uh, just the, the humility to do that was, was really impactful, you know, cause yeah, you're sitting there going, Oh no, I've, I've really screwed up. And this is a pretty important person with a big profile. And, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's one of the consistencies that I've seen as well. When you 
at that level, the, the archetype of people having that level of humility and, and, and being successful, uh, I, I firmly believe in that. And it's not always, and it's not always in the public domain, but in the private conversations and areas, there's that humility and curiosity that does come across, I think. Yeah, people would ask me a lot about coaches that I work with and go, what are they like in real life? And often we have this picture in the media and stuff that, that isn't that case. By the way, Lululemon top, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Aaron Tackle, who's, who's a wife works for Lululemons, and the, the Lululemon guy's got a really nice house in uh, Vancouver, hasn't he? So um, who, who's, who's had impact on you? Which, like, you could pick two that you go, actually, this, this really, like, changed me a little bit. Yeah, good question. I, I actually, I would say Razor too, from a coaching perspective. Um, I got him just after he missed out on the All Blacks job. And so I got to ask him about that and he just answered and yeah, he's just fully engaged in, in the whole conversation. And yeah, what, what really strikes me is the people that can really get into those. Cause you know, this, and you just mentioned it when coaches are talking to other coaches, those conversations are very different to the ones that people see, you know, in the media. There is a there is a camaraderie that exists amongst coaches because they know they've all been through the same pain. And like I, I call it the weight. They've felt that weight. And so there's an empathy amongst particularly head coaches that maybe doesn't exist amongst any other group just because they just understand each other. And so I, I felt that kind of relationship. You know, we were just talking about the the struggles of being a head coach, the struggles of missing out and having to explain to your kids, you know, that you didn't quite get it this time and, you know, all those things. And that was really impactful on me given all the, the work that I've done in that emotional space. And the other would be John Herdman, the Canadian men's national team head coach. And uh, the reason for that would be how many messages I've gotten from people that know him and have played for him, both the women's and men's national team players who like message me on Twitter and say, I've never seen, I've never heard him speak like that before. I've never heard him speak about the things that he spoke about with you. And so it was gratifying for me just doing the episode and having a coach to coach conversation. But when you, when you hear audience feedback like that, you're like, Oh, okay. We, we really struck something for people there. Nice. Well, hopefully Razor will be the old blacks coach at some point. Maybe Australia. Who knows? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I can, I can, I can barrack. Can I, I, I can, I can, uh, I think it'll be the old black coach probably in the next one cup cycle all right well i'll have a think about it maybe we have a small wager on on that i'm curious what you're seeing in our space you know coaching coach development uh coach learning 
um, effectiveness, if you will, because that's really what you and I have always jammed on and and that's how we kind of got connected in the first place. And I'm curious if you were to put your future looking goggles on, where would you advise us that we need to be going, whether that's at the, the pro level, like we've been talking about or, you know, community level as well. I think they impact each other and I think community tends to follow pro, but yeah. What comes to mind initially when I prompt you with that? Um, a few things. Uh, I've seen you writing vigorously, so I'm yeah, excited. I'm writing vigorously because my memory could be better. Um, what do I think? Uh, I think our goal is to help people be just really good thinkers and be in charge of their own development and, and not become a crux for people. Um, so some of the stuff we chatted about while we were both trying to sort our Wi-Fi out, <clears throat> um, I think it's helpful that you're, you're in part, part-time almost. Like you're, you're not there all the time. You give people time to think and do experiments and try stuff and probably have a bit of respite from Rusty. Um, I think that also gives you the opportunity to, to bring a different perspective because you're in different environments. So for us, like keeping fresh, thinking about like what's going to be next, what's going to be the next job that exists in organisations, what's going to be the next need that we have, like all those type of things. I was at a school the other day and we were like, come on, kids, like what's going to be the subjects that are going to exist in 10 years' time that don't currently exist? Like let's talk about those. Like, cool, do you think we could get like a head start on some of this stuff? So I think that stuff's helpful. Um, I, I, that suits me as well, to be honest. Like I... I wouldn't want to be in somewhere full time. Um, <clears throat> then probably like how teams work together and coaching teams and and, and extend that out to <clears throat> a broader, you know, to to everyone who's involved in in helping with the performance. And then the last thing is, and I know you'd be passionate about it, is like just people's well-being. Like I've had people say to me, Rusty, like. You need to help me save my marriage. Like, which point my wife goes, like, why would they ask you? Um, and, and 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 that's the bit that I guess I, maybe I, I'm not saying I struggle with. I would, but like, people will reveal lots of stuff to you. Like, and coaches talk about trying to commit suicide, about like, and like those moments where, like. That's tough for us as well. So I guess who looks after us is is something to consider. Um, but that, you know, it's becoming more and more like, stressful, quite frankly, like social media and judgment and shortness of contracts and all of this stuff is like, I, I personally don't think I'm built to do that job. And I, and I do have huge respect in the way you talked about that, people who've shared the weight. Um, a huge respect for people who are able to do that and front up and go, actually, I didn't prepare the team well enough. Um, but I guess those people sometimes need to like chat to someone about that stuff. And I've had, again, like just share some of my experiences. I've definitely had some coaches reveal stuff to me where I've actually been a bit frozen, if I'm honest. Like I've been like, I'm not sure what to say now. And then at the end, 
people have gone, oh, Rusty, I really appreciate you listening. And I've been thinking, oh, wow, I was definitely trying to think of some options at that point. Um, so there's some of the stuff. I mean, what, what about you? Any stuff you'd add to that? You, you, you're, the, you're the king of this. You're probably like, uh, I know you said you've been thinking about the, the job description for this and for organisations. And again, it'll, it'll iterate, won't it? They'll be, in yeah. 10 years' time, we'll be talking about other stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just the next layer of yeah, deployment of resources against something that's gone overlooked. Like this isn't a unique situation. It's previously it was fitness and previously it was statistics and previously it was, you know, and so organizations will continue to throw resources at ways to develop and, and create competitive advantage. That's the game. And so this is just the next one, but yeah, it is really going to be interesting. What's been fascinating for me since moving into coaching coaches has been, I've been solely focused on one-on-one -on -one work, working directly with the head coach, having those conversations that you mentioned, um, you know, trying to get them out from underneath the mountain of shit so that they can realize their talent because they're so far under that mountain right now that a lot just feels stuck and that they are just completely removed from the team, completely removed from their natural talent to connect with people and to teach and to communicate. And they just can't get there because and this is why the well-being piece is important because they are just under such an enormous weight. And so that's impacting their decision-making, their communication, their awareness, all the things that a coach should have immediate access to, especially during games. Um, but while I've been focusing there, there's been a lot of conversations around what, it, what the structure looks like, whether it's within a governing body, whether it's within a league. And so I've also been being asked to, okay, well, let's build the scaffolding around this thing then. And, and what does it look like from all those different perspectives? Is it a full-time role? Is it more effective being that consultant role that, you know, someone comes in from time to time? There's unique dynamics there. Again, like we look at, you know, Eddie and, and Craigie in that, they play tournaments. And so it creates the natural separation in that the tournament ends, Craigie goes home, Eddie goes home, and then we get back together, you know, later versus league play, you know, 38 weeks, 40 weeks together, uh, nine months together in the NBA or major league baseball or something like that. And so it's going to be really interesting to see where everyone lands, but I think it's really great that for some they've become the early adopters and they're not dabbling they are going hard like hard investment hard thought restructuring departments coaching departments to accommodate this so it's not just like put a toe in the water we're going to try to develop our coach and give him someone to talk to him or her, someone to talk to. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going straight for this. Like this is the next money ball for us. 
and we're going to reap the benefits of the competitive advantage when our coach halfway through the season is well, has full access to their talents, is coaching effectively, our players are learning effectively, all those different things. And so it, the main thing for me that I was scared of was that organisations weren't going to adopt that and even think about that. But that's not really what I've seen. Yeah, well, plenty of organisations are lighting the fire, aren't they? With uh, well, plenty of coaches are lighting the fire with their stories. While you were speaking, some stuff I wrote about was like that, like technical director type role that organisations are probably, hopefully, like moving towards where there's a bit more consistency. We understand our identity, so we don't like have a new coach every six months. Um, I wrote down like. Yeah, the two things I think you can control that have the biggest impact is well-being and skill. So we want to be well and we want to be skillful. Like I work with lots of coaches that want to be well and want to be skillful. Um, and like, and by skillful, I think sometimes we're missing out. Sean Williams loved to well. I think we're missing out on the pedagogue. I think we're missing out on the guy who actually helps the coaches understand like learning and transfer and how that happens. And then the last thing I wrote was like, because you spoke about Eddie, was I messaged Eddie at 5 a.m. in lockdown saying, I think I can help you. He said, do you want to jump on a Zoom in an hour? How many international coaches really would do that? And people often say, oh, what's, you know, what's sensor like, what's, you know, and I can only say like, like Eddie wants to get better. Like he's pretty... It's obviously got Craigie helping him and uh, Andrea and lots of other people, but he definitely wants to get better. Um, and that's probably the start point, isn't it? So I think coaching is like people opening the front door themselves rather than me breaking in around the back. And I guess I'm lucky as a consultant because like people are generally opening the front door. And I'll always yeah. give permission to, you know, if, if you're really serious, like you can stay in the room, but if you're not, then I can definitely get home earlier and see my kids, which would be amazing. Um, so that choice, and that, and again, and maybe I'm bouncing around some stuff. Um, I do think being a consultant and <clears throat> being in and out is helpful. So when I went to Rangers, it was really simple to say, do, do, do we want to go mild, medium, or spicy? Well, let's go spicy, Rusty. And I'm thinking that's pretty cool. Like, now, it's and I would say it's easy for me to do spicy because currently I don't have any more days booked in with you. So <laughs> this could go one of two ways. Um, and I'm not by spicy. I'm not like, I'm not like uh, Mike Bassett, England manager. I'm talking about like, do we really want to get into like, and, and I would have spoken about this. My preference is I would design some questions. They would have some choice around what we answer, and then we choose like how deep we want to go into stuff. You know, we do. You know, what do we want to know about ourselves and each other that's going to be helpful? Um, <clears throat> and most people actually really like feel that yeah, that that would be helpful for them. That's why I get invited in. I think there's really a, a great reset happening. And it's a reset of mindset of the role of the coach, you know, like we've, we've kind of 
had this mythical godlike idea of the coach that they have all the answers and that they don't necessarily work in an ecosystem. They actually dictate that ecosystem and, you know, that the organization can, can be one thing, but the team is another thing when in reality it's the alignment between, you know, key decision makers within that organization, the president, the chairman, the, uh, you know, football director, general manager, whatever it may be, the head coach, and then some key influences within the team. If, if they're not all aligned, we're not, we're probably not doing anything um, that could be deemed success. And so the coach's role in that then, then changes a little bit to, you know, I, I really like the idea or, or the, the term manager in coaching from like a soccer perspective. I think whilst I don't like management as an idea, I do think that that idea of managing departments and organizing and breaking down barriers between silos and communication across departments that need to talk to each other, uh, you know, how you organize the environment, I would also put under kind of a management idea. So, you know, what, how are you, you know, how are you turning over the dirt so the seeds are successfully growing? And, you know, since watching the Ferguson documentary, I've kind of been sitting on that idea of like management and manager because uh, that's kind of closer to what a head coach at the elite level does now. There's less and less on the grass with the whistle and more and more shifting the environment and directing the environment's energy to keep it on some sort of track. And that's why I think craft is going to be the next big thing in coaching is how do you read energy? How do you read that energy? They, they will not tell you that on coach education. I'll tell you that much. So you're not going to learn it there. Yeah, there'll be so much stuff that's that's not really in coach development, in traditional coach development, like storytelling or noticing skills or influence. Or, but also, yeah, my preference would be leadership. Like you, you as a head coach, you're like leading a program or you're leading an organisation, and you're having to connect people and and. and and have this vision, have these pictures in people's heads of where we're going and them having clarity on where they fit in with it. And, and that's often like the reality with lots of people we work with is actually like they're really good coaches. They just don't have that much experience of like leading stuff. And like, again, like why are clubs like putting people into positions without any support is like, I think it's ridiculous, quite frankly. Um, I was actually talking again, like I was speaking yesterday to a, a couple of teachers that are working in schools and talking about the lack of alignment, the lack of clarity. And, and actually, I would struggle to, like, I wouldn't have, I would struggle to name five organizations I've been to where I think it's like really, really, really. And I'm not about to like name which ones and shame which ones, <clears throat> but I would struggle. The best I've seen is the Brit School, and it's a school, and it's probably 
the guy that's leading it is like one of the most inspirational, loving. Like he would, he would understand energy. He would understand people. Um, and I guess he's also like he's, as you spoke about, like he's he's growing some really nice seeds around him. Like um, Fletcher's view of leadership is like it's it is that it's about inspiring and but it's also it's about growing people around you. And again, that's that's probably not in the job description, is it? It's like, and people, again, probably not thinking that way around growing their, the, the team around them, not just the players. Yeah. Well, to use that analogy again, you know, to repurpose it, we're going through this process at the moment of, you know, mental skills. So, the way I see it, mental skills are seeds. So on their own, if you chuck them on the concrete, don't do a damn thing. However, when you put them in the right environment and you take care of them and they've got this great sod around them and they're allowed to grow and, and they're allowed to be in the environment that they're supposed to be in, very, very impactful and very fast. Right? Like you watch the Attenborough documentaries and you see things like this happen in nature, right? Where it's as soon as the water touches the leaf, it'll like spring to life. And at the moment, what we're doing is we're trying to grow those seeds on the concrete because we haven't fixed the environments. This We're still in these like, that's not good enough uh, coaching style, like anger, fear, and then we're, we're having the, the mental skills coach come in and do a one-hour seminar every week and saying, oh, we're, we're, we're fixing the player's mentality now because they're, they're, their, they're doing their reflections and their meditation. But what you've got to do is, is you've got to fix the environment that you're trying to put those seeds into. So that's like one example that I see is a, is a huge misalignment right now that the way that we're trying to shoehorn mental skills and psychology into what we're doing without actually fixing the environment. And I mean, the coaching environment, how you're directing their attention to what's important after a loss, after skill errors, after uh, the media's on the back, those things are completely misaligned and quote unquote mental skills only have a certain amount of effectiveness when it's just the one individual trying to maintain them. And so like, there's one thing for coaches looking forward is how do you weave and merge all of those psychological principles back into your environment? So it's not just the mental skills coach being sold up the river and having to come in and do a one hour presentation. And we think that mindset is fixed. Yeah, you've triggered me on two stories. Um, they were doing some work around well-being at Harlequins, and it was pointless. Like they were looking at things like phones and all of this stuff. And the reality was, it wasn't a, an environment that people were able to be well in. So I did speak to the. I was like, look, you, you probably need to like influence the coaches. Like they're the people that are setting this environment, and that'll solve most of your problems. And, your problem was solved. Someone got lost their job and like it, it changed the environment like like the water landing on the lake, like almost 
overnight. And again, like I wouldn't be a big fan of like filling out the well-being surveys. And I actually just think that should be really normal. Like you check in with people, you're you're curious, you're interested, you've got the noticing skills to see whether people where people are. They're really like it's a, such an environment that they'll come and tell the coach exactly how you are. And then the other one is like Are you well? Are you going go the the phrase is already there. Shake the hand. Are you well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, really. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and again, like, Talk to me about it. And Saracens would be the best I've seen at that at just checking in with people, understanding like who's going through stressful situations, when are the stressful times of the week, like selection or things like that. Um I think they're the best environment I've seen in, in which where coaches are actually really, really a, because they're good people, like they would be interested in how everyone is, but also like just be really intentional so that you don't miss someone out by accident. Uh, and then the other one, when you, you talk about mental skills, I was thinking again, I spoke to a player the other day who's played international rugby and said like, in, in a game, I am thinking about the Monday morning meeting. I've made a mistake and I know that I'm going to get dug out. And so any mental skills, they too are perfectly, they're futile without the, without the leader of that organisation understanding the environment he's currently created is having a huge impact on people's decision-making. Um, I think that's the start point for everything. So when, the way I simplify coaching for me is like, it's like a house of cards. So an environment where people can be their best, like is like ultimately what I want to get to. Now, if you don't have that, then it's out of cards. Then if we're on the pitch, it's practice design. And if it's too easy or too hard, then, then we're in behaviour management. And you've got to be really aware of yourself. Like, all of this starts with self-awareness. So, like, what are my preferences? What am I not that good at? Where am I standing? Why? Who am I speaking to? What are my options around feedback? How might it differ with different people? Um, and then like co-coaching, how are we going to work together as a coaching team so that actually the messages aren't confusing or like polar opposites, which is really common. Again, like I speak to players that are really confused. Like one coach says this, the other coach says this. Um, it might be helpful for those coaches to speak. Um, and then there's stuff that's the magic is just the interaction. So I think if you've got a, environment where you're striving to help people be their best and you know what helps people be their best and what makes them wobble and what helps them and what's unhelpful and you you know you you might that might involve like practicing that stuff and having you know some mental skills to support and we get a good you know practice design on the pitch and we're aware of our coaching skills and we're working together with our co-coaches then and I think magical stuff can happen. Um, we often don't get that far. So I think like lots of places where people are, you just, I just think it's incredible that in this day and age, people are still going, well, they need this stick. You've got some of the best players in the world. And you've, if you've got your like recruitment right and you've got good people here, then I think it's pretty unlikely they need this stick. They don't need shaming in front of them. We don't need to put up lists of who's missed the most tackles. And again, 
another, I guess, another thing I see a lot of, and I know Sean Williams done some really good work around the impact of stats. I had a player message me the other day, and he was talking about club he was at, and he said, oh, it was 10 points for a tackle, but it was minus 100 if you missed a tackle. He said, so lads just didn't make tackles that were hard. They just left them. And again, I guess you're talking about like noticing energy and being able but our challenge is like we want to put things in boxes and measure it and like put a number on some of this stuff, which is actually quite challenging. Um, and especially when we've been told we're a manager or a leader, and we you know, we suddenly think we've got to measure some stuff. And you love I mean, you'll have definitely, like on your podcast, you'll have spoken to people that actually go, actually, this, this is the stuff that's important. You know, actually, it's it's the stories or it's, does this player like give me a hug in 10 years' time? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I, I'm, I'm going to make the claim because we've been, I think we've been talking about it wrong. I don't think culture is behaviours. I think culture is incentives. So the incentives create the behavior. If you go through kind of the behavioral science, it's like, well, where, where is the starting point for behavior, right? And, and it is an incentive. And so to your point, it's like, all right, so what's incentivized there? Is it to make 10 tackles so that I can miss one? Or is it to avoid the shaming? of getting a minus 100 and probably ending up with, you know, a minus 500 uh, or a minus 400. So I've made 10 and missed and missed five. I'm still in a minus category. And who wants that? Like what person on earth wants to see themselves represented like that? And yeah, again, like the, the intent underlying all that is right right? But the incentive is misaligned to that. And there's so many examples like that. I mean, just the pure MVP idea, right? Most valuable player. So we spend so much time talking about process and team play. And then in most sports, we basically reward the person that just scores the most, both in terms of actual physical awards, but then also money and accolades and other rewards outside of that and so your incentives are saying one thing we value this whilst you're spending your time as a coach saying actually we we value team play assists and and these kind of things and so again there's there's some easy fixes there when you just sit there and think through like what behavior is this incentive creating and is it the right behavior that we want you don't need to have an mvp award like there's no rule for that. It's not in the rule book. <laughs> you can just have best club person and it's your values. Who lives your values? That's the only award that you give out. And it's a race to see who can be, who can embody the values of the club or the team the best. Why isn't that the, the premier award? Yeah, I was giving my daughter a shout out. I was at my or school the other day doing a thing with the scholars and I said if there was a scholarship for kindness she would be in the room today but there isn't one but of course I think they should be like I think that's again it's 
like once you start to understand yourself and you know, what are your kind of biases or what are the things you notice, what are the things you don't notice, what are the things you affirm, what are the things you don't affirm, that's that's helpful, isn't it? Like you probably, you know, even from a tech tech point of view, I see loads of coaches who just don't coach off the ball. Or they, you know, they get really excited about attack, but they neglect that defence coaches attack. So actually, if you wanted to be a really good attack coach, you'd probably spend a lot of time affirming really good defence. In the same way, like, who's catching kindness? Who's, like, we think that's really important. Then let's, let's value that. Go back to the start. I think lots of people probably don't have clarity on why this team exists. What's the purpose? What's our identity? What makes us unique? I think we're, we often forget that and get into tech attack way too quick. Yeah. Let me take a complete left turn here because we're talking about measurements and you mentioned something earlier that I, I want to revisit. When you go into organizations and they say, how are you going to prove that your work is effective with the coaches? Yeah. How do you answer that? Um, I thought you were going to say what you measure, and I probably measure, and I'm going to go back to your question. I measure um, how quickly I feel like I'm part of that environment. Like, like if I'm like half a day in and it's really still awkward, and I'm thinking, oh, God, you haven't thought about this, versus lots of places, you know, they've obviously spent some time and they, they know your name and they come up and shake your hand and they ask questions and they're curious. Probably for me, like, um, do, do people kind of say that was helpful? Do they say that was really helpful? Do they kind of stay in touch with me? So that would be a big one for me. Like, um, the players I've coached, would they still like reach out? And lots I've done in lockdown. And when I see them, do they give me a hug? Um, the coaches that I'm no longer kind of formally mentoring still maintain a good relationship and, and still value. And, and would they still be cool if I reached out to them as well? So I've got one tonight doing some stuff with some coaches that I work with and, he was, I just love how in tuning is, he was like, yeah, Rusty, I haven't prepared anything and I'm sure that's not what you want, but we can just freestyle tonight. And so Tom Carson, shout out to TC, as a hockey player and coach, um, would, you know, I don't formally mentor him anymore, but we would still touch base quite a bit. That's the stuff for me, really. Are they, do I, do they still like value that relationship? I don't know, well, what do you think? Because, and again, it's story. And it's stories. Like we, we often don't think stories are data because they don't fit into a spreadsheet. But actually, like that stuff was helpful. And sometimes it happens way down the line. So my podcast with Ben Earl was really cathartic because I I coached him at a time when it wasn't what he wanted, but it was what he needed. So he said to me, Rusty, I like another thousand boys at Tunbridge School, just want to be told the answer. Due respect, Ben, you're six foot one. You're not going to play rugby for England unless you do stuff differently. Like, I'm not giving you the answer. Um, now, that was quite, and I, I actually had some few sleepless nights over that, but three years on, he was like, that was helpful. And I, when I kind of share what coaching is, probably answer, I think it's longitudinal. 
So there's a girl I taught at school and sent me a message three years. She was the toughest kid I taught at school. I made my life hell. Lots of like self-doubt as a result of it because I was kind of learning to teach. And then three years afterwards, she sent me an amazing message like, really helped me, was really thankful, got my dream job, couldn't have done it without type stuff. And my mind was blown because I was still three years on, like stressing about it. Um, so yeah, what, what about you? What do you think? Well, I'll give an answer because it comes up like coach development is still having to be sold into a lot of places. Right. And so like, if you're speaking to an owner or something and they say, well, what's, what's the, the KPI here. The way that I answer that is, well, what's your KPI of sports psychology? How do you know that that's effective? And whatever that measure is, I want the same one. And generally it's something around, well, the players feel like they have greater and faster access to their talent with sports psychology. So I'm like, wow, perfect. Measure me on whether your coach has greater and faster access to their talent, which is their knowledge and their ability to communicate and their awareness and their decision-making. Measure me on the same thing. And that's an arbitrary measure, but to your point, it is data because they'll be able to tell you. And, and for all the, again, external impressions of coaches, there are very few who aren't hyper self-aware and almost know instantly the second that even like the tone of their voice is off when they're delivering a message. Cause people forget this when you're standing in front of a group of 50 people trying to impress them and trying to sell your belief to them, their reactions make you awfully self-aware instantly. So when you have to continually sell to this group of 20 somethings who don't even want to be in the, the lecture theater, they want to be playing video games. Uh, it makes you aware of what it is that you're saying. And so again, they, they know when they have access to their talent, but then, yeah, to your point, the actual impact is the, it's funny. I, I was apprehensive to stop coaching my team because I loved the sensation of even when they're out on the field, when they do something that you taught them that they didn't think that they could do. And they like run past you in the game. and like, I did it. And you just, the joy on their face that they did something that you've worked on specifically. That same thing happens with the coaches that I do one-on-one -on -one work with. Do they run past you? Do and they run past you? Whether it's on the, but you, you see the same sensation, like uh, either in their, their text message or we use, we use voice note and, and um, you know, WhatsApp video a lot to, to exchange messages, obviously virtually, but you see the same joy in their face. Like we were working on that thing and I did it and it worked. And you just, you see them, you know, you've just given them that little nudge into the, into the tan bark and onto the playground. I mean, like, it's okay. I've like, I've, I've got you. And then they come back and they're like, oh my God, I went and climbed on this and I swung on the things and I went and I talked to someone and I did these things. And it's like the little kid kind of running back to the parent and you're like, yeah, I, I know I, I had 
belief in you that you could do it. But the, the look and the, the tone in their voice when they say it back to you, like, oh, I did it. I did it. Yeah. That's the gold. That's the stuff that will so stay with me until my death. Like, let's not talk about deathbeds, but like <clears throat> when Fletch lost his job with the RFU, he was inundated with messages from people who were running back going, Fletch, you really helped me. It was really helpful. But they hadn't sent him that message. So he probably had like a thousand messages. And again, probably shout out is like, because we are all, you know, we all want those. Those moments are really helpful for us. Like when I was working at RFU and <clears throat> I had a boss that, that, that wasn't giving me any kind of anything helpful, really. I had just kept a folder of like that stuff. Like, just to go, do you know what? Like, I'm doing all right here. Um, and, and sometimes we forget to give that to coaches or the, or the coach developers, just give them that bit of love. So anyone that's listening, just maybe reach out to the three or four people that they've added back to. Drop them a line and, and you can thank us later. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're exactly right. Like, that could save a job right you, you don't factor that in necessarily just that one line that you send them in an email that potentially they can forward on to their boss so that it can become tangible um because again like we've talked about really classically intangible things right stories that uh, or or like a feeling a feeling of access to your talent isn't a one or a zero but it is an important data point and so yeah, it, it is important for people that are still thinking about running the club in ones and zeros that those data points come across and those stories come across. I'd ask a lot of places like let's, you know, we can measure three things and let's just imagine we can measure anything. Like what would you measure? And we can measure stuff like that. So we can measure like of course we can. your, 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 uh, your, 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 Maybe like your, your, your options that you had available to you or your, your decision-making as a coach or that feeling in your gut as to whether today went well or your confidence as a coach or how well supported you feel or like how connected as an environment you are. Or, like we, can, we can measure that stuff. It's just not as easy. Um, it might involve us like, like not necessarily like putting it in a spreadsheet. We could notice it. Like we could, like a, something, you know, it might be as simple as like, we, we might look at an environment and go, how often do the players come to the coaches rather than the coaches go to the players? That might be a good measure of an environment that's got some player ownership and decision-making in it. That's something we're aiming for. If we're talking about like confidence, we might, or, or maybe we're looking at like how engaged people are. We might look at like how many people lean forward in their seats in the meeting. Like there's, there's stuff we could know it is that, that might be a little bit harder, but it's probably more relevant. And that's the thing. That's the, that's the craft that coaches notice anyway, right? Like you start to unpack that and you're like in their head, a head coach knows exactly how many pads and pens are in the room when they go into an analysis meeting. Generally, it, it, might, it might be at zero at a certain point. And however you address that is, again, it's the craft of what you do. But if one's missing it, 
if two are missing it, you know, you pick up on those, those signals. And so, yeah, like we, we can absolutely measure everything. So say I watched the coach of the week and uh, the premiership club. And I was like, can I share something I've noticed? And he was, every time you speak, people step forward. Like without fail. A, because he doesn't speak that often. And when he does, it's, it's, it's helpful. And B, because he actually speaks a little bit gentler than everyone else in, the, in this environment. And it was like, oh, I was really jealous when I watched it. I would love people to do that. So anyway, as a result, I've been playing with my tone of voice a little bit more. Can everyone hear me? I just need to say better stuff. But that's the brilliance of it. And, you know, that can be progress too. Right, like we were always talking about making progress and we just measure that on wins and losses, but it could be that more players are speaking up. You know, you've got a young team and they're learning the consistency of the game. You know, they're learning to repeat it week after week. And part of that is speaking up in meetings, sharing their opinions, stepping into the environment and starting to own it. And they don't necessarily think that they do because they're, they're young in their careers and, that can all be measured as progress that has nothing to do with whether you've won or lost on the weekend. So again, like when you start to really unpack it, there are so many things like every item you can look at that you do, how many coaches get home for dinner could be a really important piece of piece of data. I would talk about, well, I would also say that it's not just wellness there that that is coaches that understand the game that aren't spending 30 hours reviewing film because they understand what happened in the last game quicker and they understand what's needed for the next game quicker. And so they're not just logging the performative um, hours at the facility. So, you know, again, there's a double whammy for you. Productivity plus, <laughs> plus wellness gets them home yeah, I was thinking, like, even if you'd mentioned how many kids, how many got to do their school run, uh, that would have been a good one for me. Like, I was farming, doing stuff well, being effective, like, and and want to be well. Then picking the not so much now because I'm I'm at an embarrassing age. But when I was younger, like, how many school runs did I do a week would be a good measure of um, of my effectiveness and probably my well-being. I guess the challenge is often when you lose, like the instinct is to go to like work harder, do more. And, and, and I work with a couple of coaches where we've like, we definitely, I, I'll give you an example actually. So we've been working with a coach in France at the moment and like his preference would be like, he, he, his biography would be like, he was a grafter. He wasn't that skillful. He, he worked hard. Like, and so he values that stuff. And I value that stuff as well, probably not as highly as he does. But actually, when they started losing games, the, the decision to go and work harder actually led to worse results. And actually, they then went, we need to connect more. We need to spend more time on connection. So they've got, um, they got a game at the weekend. And uh, he said, oh, looking at our schedule, we need to bring them in on New Year's Eve. And I was like, mate, you... 
can't bring them in on New Year's Eve. Like, my wife would kill you. Um, and uh, so, so last week they went, they're in France and in the mountains. Last week they went and built some igloos. They had a competition to see who, uh, who could get the most players in an igloo. And the forwards coach is quite big, counted as four people. <laughs> um, and, and they won't. Um, and then, because basically the New Year's Eve thing, I said, well, why don't you give them an incentive? Like, they win the next four games, they get New Year's Eve off. Anyway, so he told them this. He said the whole room went wild. He said it's all they talk about now. And they've won every game since he did it. And they've won some tough games. He's been switching the group around and he's been like challenging them and we're not going to pick the same team every week. And so they've got a they've got a game on Saturday, which I think is the fifth game in the block. Uh, and they win all five. Um, they get New Year's Eve off. They're pretty excited. And I'm excited and I'm not even going to New Year's Eve with them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> One of the one of the things that Anthony Seabold said to me is like uh, Craig Bellamy said to me, you haven't coached until you've lost four games in a row. And Seabes is like, I didn't get that until we did it. And, you know, again, there's, there's some real nuance to that. Like I've been talking about this a lot recently. What do you say to them when they're in that crumpled heap in the locker room, having lost their, their fourth on the trot. And the environment that you're walking into is obviously tense, but you've also got to factor in, you know, there are probably the owners on the phone. You know, what the hell is going on here? You need to get control of this situation. And then to your point, like counterintuitively, the way to get that back on track is the same way that you would coach a player in individual skill development that was choking up a little bit. So you'd never say like, if a goal kicker had missed a couple, you'd never stand out there after practice with them and go, I want you to really tense up on this next one. I want you to tense up your hamstrings. I want you to tense up your back and, and really, really crunch your shoulders in together. And then, and then I, I reckon you'll, I reckon you'll hit the next one. Like really overthink it for me. That's clearly not the way that you would do it, right? You would go the complete opposite. I want you to relax, go back to your basics, you know, your mechanics. Um, don't overthink it. Relax your shoulders, breathe, all these different things. So then the same is true when you've got a tensed up team that counterintuitively the, the reaction should be actually to loosen the grip on the stick, not continue to tighten the grip on the stick. They know how to win, but they're, they're, in hockey they call it gripping the, the stick too tightly when a, when a shooter is missing because they literally clutch the stick too hard and so they, they don't get the right bend and the puck doesn't come off the stick properly. Um, a, a hockeyism for you from, from Canada. Uh, it's true. Again, the way that you would teach that is lighten the stick in your hands, right? Go back to your, your childhood basics. You've done this a thousand times. There's no point clutching the stick too hard because you're not going to, you're not going to hit it perfectly like that. The same apply, applies to that team. Let's reconnect with each other as, as, a, as 
team members and, and, you know, club members and human beings, uh, get back to having some fun, get back to the childish skills that we have, the, the, you know, get out there and play a silly game and start to enjoy the game again. There's your answer, not quote unquote, getting control of the situation, which generally means give them the hairdryer. Yeah, I was thinking again, I was, well, when you mentioned Seebs, obviously he's with Eddie at the moment. I was, I wrote three head coaches. So Eddie, Seebs, Richard Cockrell, like that's an interesting dynamic. But then I wrote 14 Peaks. So I'm sure you've seen it on Netflix. It's amazing. Anyone that hasn't watched it, but just that when they're all struggling at K2 and they can't get up the mountain and they're all stressing about the avalanches and, and then he rocks up and he's like, we're going to have a party. And then he's like, who's coming up the mountain with me? And they're all a bit like, no, well, you know, there's, and he's like, no, no, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. And that lady who's like, she's failed three times and she's like, oh my God, like I got up the mountain and like there's, there's so much good stuff in 14 Peaks Around Leadership, in my opinion, like modelling it and your standards and having fun along the way and leaving no one on the mountain. And, you know, when he talks about coming alive in the death zone, there's so many cool, like, messages. But I just love the fact that his solution to the K2 problem was, let's have a party first. And actually, I I, I, I speak to players in a couple of couple of rugby clubs who are not doing so well at the moment and they need a party. <laughs> like Christmas could come at the right time for them, to be honest. They need to chill out. Everyone needs to relax. They need to like, remember the stuff they're good at. Stop tensing up, as you said. And then go, right, who's, who fancies a trip up the mountain? Like, come on, let's do it. And that's obviously easier said than done. That's like, that's energy again, isn't it? Like, Someone who understands energy, understands people, like would know that at this moment in time, this is this is the best option. Yeah, it's exactly it. And I, I think of Thomas Tuchel. You know, Timo Werner was uh, was struggling, and they talked about how Tuchel pulled him off the, the training track. He wanted to stay out and, and do more finishing because he hadn't scored in six weeks or something. Tuchel's like, no. You're not doing it. And then, you know, press conference, why did you why did you pull him off the, the track? He hasn't scored and he should do some more finishing. He's like, he doesn't need to learn how to score goals. Guy scored a 1,000 goals. <laughs> He's like, that's not his problem. And it was just this really sharp, you know, that that is the leadership to, to, to do it, but then also get up there at the, at the press conference and go, no, 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 like this is, this is my job. Like, this is my domain. Here's how, it, here's how it really works. And I back him to actually not practice because that's not what he needs. He needs to, we need to fix him in another way. And it's not just repetition. Um, I don't know how that's gone. I don't think he's, he's back to his goal scoring best at all. So they may have changed that, but it was really telling that he also explained that at the press conference and he's like, he doesn't need finishing practice. Yeah, he probably needs a party. Yeah, he probably Yeah, he probably needs a party and then he can climb up the mountain. That's it. Who are you keeping an eye on at the moment? This will be our exit question. Who who's really captivating you in uh, in leadership, in education, in in politics, in any any domain that you would 
I know you, I didn't want to mention politics because I know you where you'll get you started smiling as soon as I said it. <laughs> just, yeah. No, sorry, I'm really, I'm really apologetic about that. Yeah, I'm always curious uh, again because you mentioned noticing skills earlier, and I know that you notice. So, who's captivating you that's showing a modern version of leadership? Um, well, I immediately thought of Boris, unfortunately, it's for everyone, but I'm not going to talk about him because but I can't take my eyes off him because. Ever there was a demonstration of what leadership we, is. How about is. this? Politicians as a group, we need to stop calling them leaders. They're they're officials. Okay, they're the word is elected elected officials. They're talent, so they're officials. The talent development system it is, is deeply flawed. Talent ID is appalling. <laughs> let's 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 not go there. For that who else? Um, there's a couple of people that I'm, I was thinking about. Uh, one is a guy I was with this weekend, so I'm really like, and, and, and probably the guy that he works with. So, and and it, and it ties in as Fletcher there as well. So, AB Zonda was a skills coach at um, at Toulouse, and I just had a weekend, like a weekend at Bernie's with uh, AB, where we went to some rugby, we watched some stuff together, we went for walks and. And he's progressed from being a skills coach to being like suddenly like in the headlines, I guess, like an attack coach for a national team. And so um, it's quite easy, isn't it, to be the skills coach and like live in the shadows. And then when suddenly you're an attack coach and you're from another country, then probably the light shines on you a little bit more. And I was actually the stuff that I'm, I'm really interested in was just listening to him. And I, and I talk a lot about the empty chair. So it's coaching teams. Like, what's what's your empty chair, AB? What are you good at? What's what's Gregor's super strength? And and two things Gregor said that are probably good messages, I think, to leave. One is first meeting. I want everyone here to be themselves. That's why you're here. That'll be enough. And of course, when you're a country with little resource, you probably don't spend that much time trying to change people and you know probably be a dick you actually got to go this is what we got let's maximize it so i think that's uh and i just love the fact so ab's like really like speaking to him like he's just fitted in there really nicely um they've had been really like had some candid conversations around their review and um i'm just think that like, i'm really interested in how that dynamic develops um, and then the other thing Greg has said that I love that I think is really helpful for coaches because it's often the bit that's the hardest is he said uh, Gregor's super strength is his uh, conversation with players that are selected. He walks towards those conversations. He knows how valuable and important they are for the players. So he says, I do those and I'm, I'm going to put a lot of attention to them. And again, like think back to and you know, you would have I'm sure you would have experienced similar to me, those moments where you didn't have clarity, you didn't know why you weren't playing, or you knew the coach had told you something and told someone else something else, and you were like, This is really confusing. Um and I and I just yeah, I'm just interested in I guess how A B moves from being a skills coach to an attack coach, um, being a bit more in the media and, and whether like he can continue to be himself because 
that's what Gregor wants, and I, you know that's why they appointed him. So a bit of a left fielder, but that's probably who I'm noticing at the moment. I like it. He's a good follow on Twitter as well. He does, uh, yeah, some interesting stuff. And I've got a couple from a head coaching perspective that I pay attention to, and it's more so that I'm interested in how they impact the rest of us. So what doors do they open for us to be able to be more of ourselves in a coaching environment? Because, again, at the moment it's kind of this act, right, like we're tr- trying to sh- shoehorn our, ourselves into you know, what the media expects, what the fans expect, what the ownership expects. It's like one is Sean McVeigh from the NFL. Uh, and the reason for that is that burst onto the scene, Super Bowl in his first or second year, uh, it has already kind of only at about four years now, has already talked about like burnout and things. And so his rapid ascension and then descension into almost burnout means that he's on a, a track that's really interesting um, from a development perspective as a young coach that didn't play in the NFL but has respect. And, and I think he can do some really interesting things that will have a knock-on effect to coaching in the NFL, which is important because so many people look to the NFL because of its size and its its impact. And so if he can change that landscape, I think that's really interesting. Uh, another would be Ronan um, because of just the way that he speaks and what he pays attention to and what he learned from Razor and has brought to, you know, the Northern Hemisphere and, talks about caring and really caring and, uh, you know, uh, again, a, a high profile that started well, that has the potential to, to really impact how the next generation can follow him and what he talks about, particularly being Irish, where talking about emotion and things isn't really part of the culture. Um, and the third is Emma Hayes, who is just magic in general. Everything that comes out of her mouth, I'm a fan of. Um, And again, is someone that has the potential to impact both women's coaching because of her profile, but more so men's coaching. I think we need, as men, need to be more like Emma Hayes than the women that are coming up behind her. Like the things that she talks about and the the uh, the emotion the emotion that she shows um, I think is is amazing and I hope she can continue to to do that as the profile of the game gets bigger and and the money gets bigger and all of those kind of things because it's really impactful. There's more, but those are the three. Couple of, yeah, yeah, they're cool. Couple of nudges on on Ronan. Obviously, you know Dave Sharkey, like fair play, Ronan Gara. He would understand that his empty chair is doing the theming stuff and he's actually got someone to do it. I'm interested in how you do it remotely and all of that. That's a, another story, I'm sure. But also, he's had the best on the job training. He spent like, a couple of years with Razor. Like, you would do it for free, wouldn't you? Like, you'd pay for it. Go, you know, have that experience that's 
and Jerry Flannery, sorry, just to talk about Jerry Flannery, uh, he did a podcast over here where he was like trying to make sense of the fact that the Quinns, the players, were in charge of stuff. Never experienced it in my playing career. Never seen it as a coach. Beginning to wonder whether it would work anywhere else. Like trying to make sense of something live on a podcast that he'd just not experienced in his life. And again, those coaches are Quinns. Uh, and last year will have had a, an amazing on-the-job training because of the players they got to coach. And that's the best training. Yeah, doing, doing it. it. All right, mate. We could keep talking about this for hours, but where can people find you and follow you socially, your website, all that kind of stuff? Uh, socially, I'm often walking around near where I live in Bristol. Um, on social media, I'm on Twitter a fair bit, like at Russell Earnshaw. Uh, I guess LinkedIn. I don't use Insta that much. Um, I'm 46, so I'm a little bit too old for that. Um, yeah, just yeah, just people reach out. Like I'm, I'm good at saying yes, and I would always be kind of interested in like connecting with people and learning and sharing, and hopefully we eventually all get a little bit better than when we started. That's it, mate. I'm glad we managed to get you on. I think. I woke up at 2 a.m. talking of your Eddie example. I woke up at 2 a.m. and messaged you because I don't know why I was thinking about that at 2 a.m. I'm like, I have Rusty on the show. <laughs> so you would have got the message come through nice and early, 7 a.m. over in the UK. Be like, what's this guy doing up? <laughs> thinking about his podcast. But I'm glad we got to do it, mate. It was long overdue and I'm looking forward to hanging out in person uh, next year. Yeah, mate, cool. The same. Looking forward to you getting over here. And, uh, stay safe, mate. Have a good Christmas. You too. Great to see you, mate. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for listening all the way to the end. A special thank you to the co-creator of Where Others Won't, Adam Esker, who is behind a lot of the technical elements of the show. As always, you can get in touch with me at codyroyal.com or find me on Twitter. Bye for now.